This podcast is not intended to be an investigative report, and all opinions stated herein are opinions strictly from the hosts and are not affiliated with any law enforcement entity. This is a true crime podcast and may contain information that may be disturbing to some listeners. Audience discretion is advised. Welcome to Vintage Homicide, a true crime podcast being presented to you by two forensic scientists with a passion for the vintage lifestyle. We are your hosts, Ms. Ruby Wild and Ms. Mayday. We will bring you historic murders with special insight into the era and the forensics involved to look back at what crime solving may have been like. This podcast is benefiting the 501c3 Bombshell Betty's Calendar for Charity, which is a nonprofit whose mission is to raise support and awareness for veterans' charities through community involvement, photography, and pinups. Hey, everybody. So if you don't know much about forensic botany, this case is really going to grow on you. (laughs) Love it. Okay. So we are talking about 1942 in New York, and Mayday has a lot of information about what it was like in 1942. Right. So... As you recall, in 1940, the Nazi occupation in France begins. And at this time, Winston Churchill becomes the prime minister of England and Franklin Roosevelt in our own country is elected to a third term. In 41, Peggy Guggenheim arrives with Max Ernst in New York City after fleeing the Nazi invasion of France. And by 1942, she ends up opening the Art of the Century Gallery on 30 West 57th Street in New York City. In 1941, right, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor and we have entered World War II. So in 1942, we are essentially in a state of preparedness And we're at war. And so what preparedness was, was a national project to ready for war by enlarging the military, strengthening certain allies such as Great Britain, and above all, converting America's industrial base to produce armaments and other war material rather than civilian goods. So this conversion was the key issue that dominated American life in 1940 to 1942. So our case starts off with an elevator operator. And I don't even know if those still exist to this day, but still a cool job. His name was Friedolf Treeman, and he was out walking his dogs through Central Park. And as we all know, anybody who's walking their dogs is usually one to find the body. So he came across the discovery of a woman in a clearing uh, who had marks on her neck, the sleeve of her coat was torn, and her clothing in the lower portion of her body was in disarray. But... You have an idea about um, where in Central Park this body was found? Yeah, so the area that most of the newspaper clippings are referring to is kind of the northeastern part of Central Park, kind of adjacent to Fifth Avenue and Central Park North. It's kind of where modern day today you will find the hospital, Mount Sinai. And there was at the time some sort of uh, bird sanctuary and her body was found lying in a ditch kind of in this bird sanctuary area, but it was at the time the tallest part of the park. So people normally would not have just come across her, and the only reason that Friedolf found her was that he had let his dog off leash, and the dog found her. Right. So he contacted police, and once they arrived, they examined her more closely. 
She had blood in her nose. Her skin was tinted blue. The markings on her neck appeared to have been made by fingers. Her tongue was swollen and was extended past her lips. And it was determined that she had died from a fractured larynx. It was not immediately known her identity because her pocketbook was missing. But it was quickly determined that this woman was a 24-year-old Louise Almodovar, and she had been reported missing by her mother the night before. So she hadn't been missing that long, and so she was pretty fresh. Louise had been living with her parents because she had left her husband of five weeks. They'd been married after a three-month whirlwind romance. Louise became estranged from her husband, Annabelle, also known as Terry Almodovar, because he had lost his job and could no longer provide for her. She also claimed that he had been unfaithful during their very short romance. She still loved Terry, so whenever he would come to her parents' house, she would have no issues talking to him. She wanted to be with him, but he couldn't support her. Louise's parents reported that she had been called upon the night that she was last seen by a man that they thought was her estranged husband. Police went to question Terry at his residence, but Terry calmly told police that he had last seen his wife the week prior, and at the time of her demise, he was out dancing with another woman, and Terry claimed that Louise left him because she was jealous of him having contact with other women, and that his wife annoyed these other women. That's a quote. Terry further claimed that he had not been through Central Park in years. His alibi for the night, Maria is his ex-girlfriend that he had lived with until he started seeing Louise. So he broke up with Maria to date Louise. And then he was back with her after their five-week-long marriage. Police started looking into Terry's background. He was born in Ponce, Puerto Rico. He had an education until the fourth or fifth grade. He was an ex-sailor. And he had lived in New York since 1938 with his brother while he was working and he was working as a laundry presser. I still don't know what that is. <laughs> Do you know? I think it's someone who would work uh, like at a, a dry cleaners who would basically be doing the ironing. Oh, okay. Well, everybody's got to have that until he got fired. So police went to check his alibi at the Rumba Palace where he said he was, but they were unable to confirm if anyone had actually seen him that night. But what they do know is that he was last seen on the night of Louise's murder wearing a dark green suit. They had found that he had pawned the suit the very next morning. And um, the suit, it's, it's very distinct for a very particular reason. Mayday? Right. So the first half, like I said before, of the 1940s was dominated by World War II. So fashion completely stalled. Both men and women were often seen in uniforms. And if they were not in uniform, they were wearing certain clothing styles, which were dictated by rationing and utility clothing. So it would have been very common for his suit to be made of tweed and plaid, um, which was very popular in the 1930s, which continued to be used in utility clothing up until the 1940s. This also being the case is most people didn't have a large wardrobe. So the green suit that he was in is probably one that people were very familiar with, and therefore it was e able to be tracked down pretty readily at the pawn shop. Right. People would have seen him wearing it often as individuals didn't have much variety in their wardrobe. So police went and they recovered the suit from the pawn shop and they submitted it to be analyzed. 
They also started interviewing people in Louise's proximity, such as her parents that she was living with. And her father gave a totally different version of events that led up to Louise and Terry's estrangement. Louise's father was told that Terry abandoned his wife with them because he was going to go back out to sea and he did not want to leave Louise alone. Her father also claimed that he saw Terry and Louise arguing on the porch two days before the murder, a claim that Terry denied because, as we said, Terry says that he hadn't seen Louise in a week. As police were doing all this background work and conducting the interviews and checking on alibis, remember that the suit was submitted for analysis. The forensic lab was making some pioneering discoveries, and I am going to let Mayday take this one away while I sit back and enjoy learning. <laughs> Thanks. So... At the time, there was a man named Alexander Oscar Gettler, and he was working as a toxicologist at the Office of Chief Medical Examiner of the City of New York, or the OCME, and he had worked there from 1918 up until his retirement in 1959. So he would have been the criminalist, if you will, um, at the time who was working on this case. And... Um, Gettler becomes known as the father of forensic toxicology in America. So he works closely with the chief medical examiner at the time. His name was Charles Norris. So between the two of them, they were basically charged with looking into the death of Louise. So as Gettler was analyzing the clothing, he had recalled seeing some seeds and grass in the pockets and in the cuffs of Almodovar's pants. And upon looking at the crime scene photos, he noticed that the grass where her body was lying was kind of unique. It was a very tall grass. So as a scientist, although Gettler was a toxicologist, he knew the value of resources and finding other scientists in the community who could potentially shed some light on what that grass was. So he reached out to another scientist named Dr. Joseph Copeland. Dr. Joseph Copeland was a biologist and botanist who at the time was teaching at the city college. He had earned his PhD at Columbia University and he was essentially on track at the city college to become a full professor. Dr. Copeland essentially was the one who identified the tall grasses. He identified them as a combination of, and here I'm going to try to do my best scientific nomenclature, <laughs> Plantago lanceolata, which is more commonly known as narrow leaf or English plantain. There was also traces of panicum dichotomiflorum, which is fall panicum or what we call panic grass. It's essentially a weed and another variant called Eleusine indica, which is goosegrass, another common weed. So this combination of tall grass, uh, this was identified on Almodovar's suit. So later when Copeland testified, he testified that the, this grass was rare to this area and only grew in two spots in Long Island, three places in Westchester County, and in New York City, but only in Central Park, where Luis was found. So this caused Almodovar to panic because his alibi was essentially undone. So when police asked Terry about this, he corrected his previous statement and stated that he had actually walked through Central Park a couple of months prior. 
Keep in mind, we are in November. He was claiming that this occurred in September, that he was last in Central Park. Copeland countered this argument, and he stated that the grass in question was known to be a late bloomer, and it was not present in September when Terry says that he was last in Central Park. So now the police were armed with the forensics, as well as the gap in his alibi. They went and arrested Terry. When he arrived at the jail, he was in a straitjacket and refused to take proper booking photos. So his booking photos, if anybody wants to look them up, are essentially the police holding him up by his hair and moving him in different directions because he would not cooperate. There's an argument for Terry at this moment stating that his English was not far enough along to initially understand what was being requested of him. However, he was married to an Italian living in New York since 1938, had kept a job, was able to communicate with Louise's father, once again, who's Italian, which therefore lets you know that he at least had enough grasp of the English language to understand that the police were asking him to just stand up straight and face forward. I see. So this is kind of the proposed explanation for why the police were kind of manhandling him at the booking? Yes. And it was only at the booking. For some reason, he just did not want to be booked. Okay. So two months after the murder, Terry was you know, the evidence was brought forth to him and he finally realizing he had no other way out confessed and his confession. I'm going to quote, I strangled her in a quarrel. There is no sense in me denying it any longer. He then said that he took everything that could identify her, including her pocketbook or purse, because he wanted to make it longer that she would actually be identified or not at all. So that way he would never be a suspect. He really wanted the incident to look like a mugging gone wrong, so he staged a lot of how she was found. And long story short, the jury sentenced him to death, and at the age of 21, he was electrocuted. Wow, he was pretty young. Very much so, uh, which would explain, you know, why he was an ex-sailor and uh, pretty much was like a jumping around womanizer and things like that. But yeah, can you imagine at 21 committing like this atrocious act. Yeah. I, I <laughs> guess, uh, in, in complete utter rage, this is how this incident occurred. Yeah. He didn't really give any, uh, excuse except for the fact that they were fighting. It's, it's also rumored that possibly, um, he was going for a divorce and she was not going to grant him one. So that's the other they're all theories. It's all we can go off of at this point. Yeah. But, you know, he basically was like, we've only been married for five weeks. So I think he was going more for an annulment than a divorce, but she wasn't having it. Cause like we said, she was still in love with him. She didn't realize that that was a bad thing. Yeah. So they had this lover's quarrel, which ultimately resulted in her death. Yep. It's a shame. But, I mean, the good thing about this case is now we know that forensic botany is a thing and we can use it uh, to help solve crimes. Right. This was one of the first cases, if not the first case, right, of forensic botany. Are you ready for my last dad joke? (laughs) Yes, of course. Always ready. Forensic botany, sowing seeds of truth. Yay! (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) I told you forensic botany would grow on you. (laughs) Yes, it certainly has today. This was a very fascinating case. Thank you, Ruby Wild. Uh, Thank you. 
Vintage Homicide is produced by J.H. Cabral. Additional editing and theme music produced by Matt Beck. A special thanks to Bonnie Navarro Photography and Bombshell Betty's Calendar. Please visit bombshellbettyscalendars.com for more information. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Vintage Homicide Podcast. Please subscribe wherever you prefer to download your podcasts and join us next time for more tantalizing tales of murder and mystery. 